G.I. Joburg is the codename for South Africa's daring, highly trained special mission force. Their purpose? To debate about COBRA, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to pick our pockets. G.I. Joe against COBRA, the enemy, fighting to save the day. Greetings, G.I. Joe Burgess, and welcome to episode 13. In this episode, we are going to showcase our top 5 G.I. Joe or Cobra action figures from the vintage, original, a real American hero line. And get into whether or not their modern era counterparts do them justice. And now for a word from our sponsors. And on to you, Mr. Snow Serpent. I am Cobra Snow Serpent. Now many of you won't know this, but there is no such thing as a snow serpent. Serpents do not live in the snow. I do not understand my codename, but at least I'm not a viper. Like every other viper. I'm not a toxo viper, I'm not a viper viper, I'm not a natty viper, I'm not a something else viper, I'm a serpent. Now, snow serpent, as many of you might have surmised or guessed, is not an operating system for the Mac OS. Okay, just so we get that clear. Also, that big thing on my back, it's not for making snow cones, it's not for making ice cream, it's a freaking mortar! And I have these great snowshoes. The topic for this evening sprang out of a discussion I had with the other hosts of G.I. Joburg, Rob and Paul, about the fact that we've been a bit vehicle-centric in the past few episodes. I think we're going to dial it back, all the way back to the figures that cemented our love for this line, the figures that, in our opinions, are the greatest O-ring, original, real American hero figures ever produced. But their modern counterpart. There are many Joes that I like that are not in my list. Why is that, Rob? Because they haven't released reissues. So on that note, I think it's important at the outset to explain which figures Rob is referring to. He has a wish list in existence of his top five figures that he would love to see in modern era resculpts. Now, as early as episode one of G.I. Joburg, Paul and I both exposed our lists. I think it's time for Rob to climb in with his top five unproduced modern era vintage throwback figures. My number five would be Night Viper, which is kind of a slight cheat because now we know that we are getting a Night Viper. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, listeners, if you can't recall episode one of G.I. Joburg, Night Viper was on my wish list. And my number four would be the version two rock and roll from 89. Nice choice. That one was on both Paul and my list. <laughs> and the interesting thing, like before I say the next three, is that they all are actually from 89. Actually, my favorite, like, original Joe series was 89, I think. And that just proves it as, as I go through these. Um, my number three is Target. I love that original yeah. figure, and he just looks so different from many of the other figures out there, even though, you know, Stephen would disagree that all the figures do look the same. On, on that survey list, I actually put a Target on that list, and I also put on a Rock and Roll version 2 as well. And, well, I didn't have to put in the Night Viper, but I did put it up as a... That's one of the retaliation toys I'm looking forward to. Okay. Good man. My number two is Scoop, which is just such an awesome figure, and I think just informed me for many years. I just had to film stuff. I mean, I didn't do much filming, but I just, I love that he's a filmmaker. He's a voyeur. 
<laughs> yeah, he, he said, and I quote, he was the G.I. Joe cameraman, so his non-violent pacifist role was to watch and film everyone else dying and getting killed. <laughs> but in it, you know, How non-violent that, that is. I mean, this is your mother supposedly buying you the least violent G.I. Joe. And yeah. yet this is his psychotic pastime. <laughs> and, and just, Very well done. Well done, Linda. That one really backfired. And and in the Deke series, he's actually a traitor. He's a former alley viper that has snuck into the ranks of G.I. Joe and is trying to sabotage G.I. Joe with the smear campaign. Wow, that's interesting. I, I never knew that. And then my number one would be the Night Force sneak peek. So you're a voyeur. Yeah, sneak very peek much and so. scoop. <laughs> so, so like the one is about making special videos with Scarlet and Lady J and the other one's about watching people die yes that's quite true I like watching <laughs> though Sneak Peek came with some pretty top notch accessories as well and that is the main reason why the vintage figure is so sought after today by being a Night Force figure it's already in a category of being quite hard to find but by having so many small accessories, that really kind of bumps him into a, a very pricey category on old eBay. I think if they did a reversion of him, you know, it wouldn't necessarily fetch a higher price than any other modern era figure. But it certainly makes him a far more accessible character. Yeah, and it'll bring him forward into the modern era. Definitely be cool to see a Night Force 5 or 7 pack. And if they got away with doing the Marauders, I can't see why they won't do a Night Force set. Maybe in the future still, they're holding onto their cards. Well, so. they've already done Tunnel Rats and Outback in Night Force styling. So I guess the rest are... Oh, and they've done Shockwave. So that's three out of the, I think, eight... Isn't Lowlight one of them? No, incidentally, Lowlight is not a member of Night Force. Get your head around that. <laughs> he was a member of Slaughter's Marauders, but not Night Force. But having Sneak Peek and Lowlight in the same set is kind of dangerous. Before but we like- launch into our topic for episode number 13, there's a little bit of housekeeping. In episode 12, when we showcased our favorite G.I. Joe or Cobra jets, we kind of left it open to the listeners to decide for themselves which of our individual picks or their own personal choice came out on top. And we've had a response, haven't we, Rob? Yes, we have, from Tom Brooks on Twitter. He basically thought... uh this is only one opinion, by the way, so it's not <laughs> a consensus. On, it's not a consensus, but he thinks the most convincing argument was for the Sky Striker. Night Raven. He said the Sky Striker, unfortunately, Paul. I'm sorry. And I'm quoting, he said, Good defense and support on all, but the Sky Striker won the day. So, in Tom's eyes, you won the debate. But I think... Captain yeah. of the debating team, 2000 to 2002, thank you. I think it's still very open. I think once we get more people listening and over time, it'll come out, you know, the hurricane is up top. And if he had a choice, he would have uh, chosen the X-19. That's mm. his personal favorite jet. And I think we can all agree with that. The X-19 is a pretty superb piece of aviation mm. equipment. <laughs> Yeah, it stands out against the rest of the line as a, as a unique specimen. And it was also one of the first vintage-era figures I had seen after my G.I. Joe drought when Steve came over to the shop and brought it when I was still working at Anime Works. It was amazing. It was in my hands, not on a catalog. It was magic. Yeah, that first time you get acquainted with the X-19, it really is a special little, little moment there. Yeah, I love touching mm. yours when you brought it home. I had it shipped to me while I was living in Johannesburg. But for some reason, between all the multitudes of shipping detail entries you do when you're purchasing something from an eBay seller, 
the address that got marked on the box was my Cape Town address. It wound up being sent to a post office back in my hometown as opposed to the town where I was living and working in. So my girlfriend of the time actually brought it up with her. And I cringed when I saw that box having just come out of the hold of the South African Airways flight. It got pretty mangled, but thankfully the contents came out unscathed. Women just don't understand. Ah, dude, it was pretty sweet of her to bring it anywhere. She could have just left it for me back in Cape Town, but she decided when she came up to visit, she was going to bring a little little bit extra than just herself. Much to her detriment, I mean, damn. (laughs) (laughs) If you think for one second I can ignore the elephant in the room, that being the X-19 in its box. (laughs) I thought you were going to say the girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's, It's arguable which was the actual elephant in the room. God, I hope she never listens to this. <laughs> I'll get an earful. Anyway. We're speaking metaphorically, of course, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I would never want to call the Phantom X-19 an elephant. No, no. <laughs> exactly. She's just... It might be grey, but that's where it starts. Mm. <laughs> Gents, I think we've hashed about the X-19 and other matters just about enough. I'm dying to get into my top five O-Ring original real American hero action figures. Kicking things off, at number five, I have the Baroness from 1984. Wow. Friends, a lot of people say that Hasbro couldn't quite get the female form right. And we look at examples like Scarlet, we look at Lady J. Zorana. Zorana. (laughs) I mean, figures that look like the back end of a bus. And you wonder, could they actually nail a sexy action figure with their O-ring figure sculpt style? And you're suggesting they have? I'm suggesting they have. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Baroness in her 1984 black leather catsuit is just the hotness. To this day, she still looks like an attractive action figure, and that is quite a bold statement, and one that I will defend tooth and nail. She's got amazing sculpt details in what is a very simple action figure on the surface. I mean, she's got two paint applications, the first being the cobra sigil on her chest, and the second being her lips. I suppose you could argue, well, of course, her glasses and eyes make up a third paint application, but the rest of the figure is molded in a black plastic color, which evokes the leather fabric of her outfit perfectly. She doesn't come with a great deal of accessories. She comes with a high-density laser rifle, which I think entrenches her as a bit of a sniper, Being a female action figure, she's got perhaps that sniper wolf attribute going for her that she can lie in wait a lot more patiently than her male counterparts. And I think it's always cool having the Eastern European female packaged with a sniper rifle. I would have, however, enjoyed a pistol or a submachine gun almost as much since she typically used uh, SMGs or pistols in her media appearances. But the sniper rifle is a cool inclusion, even if it's not one of the most detailed sculpts. It's a rather simple sculpt and and quite elegant, but not enormous on the detail side. It's also molded in a very brittle kind of plastic, which actually increases its durability. The gummy kind of plastic used on a lot of the firearms in the Joe line lead to the hand grips being worn out over time with their friction with the much more brittle plastic of the action figure hands. And that's not the case with her high-density laser rifle, which looks completely mint 30 years later. Her second accessory 
is a little makeup case. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. It's a dainty little backpack with this gorgeous engraved cobra head peering out of the back of it. And it doesn't really have the capacity to hold very much other than perhaps a spare energy cassette for her laser rifle. Maybe a few hand grenades, or maybe it is just a, a makeup case mm-hmm. when the Baroness needs to powder her nose. Because... <laughs> or change disguises. While she is a very deadly operative, one of her most lethal attributes is her cunning and her ability to play off the men in her immediate vicinity. I'm speaking mainly about Cobra Commander and Destro. Flash forward to 2009. Hasbro, after a series of rather hit and miss, but primarily miss renditions of the Baroness, produced the most gorgeous action figure yet. They've topped the original Baroness by doing such a splendid homage to her. She surpasses the original in every way and doesn't leave me wanting anymore. I'm talking about the Baroness that came in the box set in 2009, the version 12 Baroness, if you go by the yojo.com listings. And she is utter perfection. She takes every single detail on the original Baroness and just ups the ante. They've splashed on a few extra paint apps for good measure, but her proportions are perfect. They've slimmed down her frame. They've given her a bit of extra stature by giving her extremely high, high heels. But anyone who's seen The Dark Knight Rises and Anne Hathaway's performance as Catwoman knows just how devastating a set of high heels can be on the right kind of female operative. So this is one sexy update to an extremely sexy figure, and I cannot give her any less than three out of three in our rating system. She doesn't come with much in the way of accessories, one rifle, which is easily exchanged for any number of pistols or small arms, or even, if she really wants to do some damage, the Stayer Org from Marauder Inc., which I think fits her quite nicely, and is a weapon that she's often showcased using in G.I. Joe print media. Number four in my top five O-Ring figures is Falcon from 1987. What sets Falcon apart from the plethora of G.I. Joe soldiers? I mean, essentially, he's just another green man in a long line of green men. Well, folks, I implore you to take a closer look at the details on this man's sculpt. The knife sheath, the radio, his neckerchief, the angle head lamp sculpted into the pockets on his leg, his watch, his rolled sleeves. The fact that they have included no less than five paint apps on this figure, which, for one green soldier puts him head and shoulders above all the other action figures under consideration here tonight. In terms of accessories, he's adequately equipped without being overburdened. He comes with a shotgun, very nicely sculpted, and a shotgun that defeats its uh, difficulties in being held by including an extra handhold, which I can't really argue with. Of course, the wrist joints on the vintage figures were not sufficient to hold a rifle grip properly, so it's it's a good addition. He has this excellent backpack which sheaths a knife and has a removable antenna for his communications gear. And that about sums up Falcon's accessory compliment. But once again, an absolutely fantastic figure and somewhat of a linchpin. One that has never been given the opportunity to shine as he should in G.I. Joe Media. His file card is first rate. The card art 
and the information that it gives you about this character, that he's a real blood and guts trooper, a true Green Beret, the guy who's out in the sticks working hard against overwhelming odds, using guerrilla tactics and using local militia, training people. He's really the kind of guy who gets out there and gets his, his hands dirty. And sadly misrepresented in the movie, in the original animated film. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But they needed to build up that kind of conflict, I guess. And in a 90-minute animated film, it's the easiest way to do it, by having the good guy... He screws everything up and then makes amends in the end. That was his conflict. And I can't begrudge them that. I mean, after all, it was made for kids. But Falcon, top rate. Absolutely perfect, perfect, perfect figure. And head and shoulders above the rest of the G.I. Joe forces. What is not head and shoulders above their other incarnations is his modern era counterparts. Falcon is most sorely in need of a better update. His initial... Reversion. According to Yojo's listings, his version 4, 25th anniversary version, which came in a comic pack with the Nemesis Enforcer, or they called it Nemesis Immortal, is laughable. It uses possibly what was at that stage the worst G.I. Joe action figure base, that being the Duke body, and just doesn't do anything special with it. Doesn't do the original figure justice, glosses over the many intricate details of that sculpt, and just gives you a wholly unsatisfactory figure. While they have gone some way to improve that with the Slaughter's Marauders version, that figure is once again sorely lacking and very plain. It needs a decent bit of web gear with that knife sheath, with that ammo pack, with the radio with the neckerchief. These are all essential design elements that Falcon needs. One commendable element to the version 4 Falcon is that they managed to open up his case and make the radio components removable. I think that is one accessory that could definitely be carried over into a future Falcon version, and I would be very, very happy with it. But sadly, it doesn't look like there's one on the cards for... The next while. Number three in my all-time O-ring best action figures is the version one Destro. Destro. Destro and the Baroness. Destro and the Baroness. Practicing the Baroness. Destro and the Baroness. Practicing the Baroness. Practicing the Baroness. Practicing the Baroness. Now this figure is just too cool. In his black outfit with all the beautiful intricate details sculpted on it, it was really leagues ahead of its time. Compare it to other figures of that year. I compare it to Torpedo. I compare it to Snowjob. I compare it to Gung Ho. Destro is such an enduring sculpt. The minutely detailed wrist rockets and whatever's on his left gauntlet. I think there are probably controls for the wrist rockets or controls for some other sort of device secreted on his person. The pistol is the finest G.I. Joe pistol ever produced to date. I made the assertion as far back as G.I. Joeberg episode 2 and I stand by my decision. The backpack, which is yes, a backpack. It does fit into his back plug. Opens to reveal a wealth of detail and equipment. I mean, not only is he an arms dealer, but it looks like he's going door to door with this stuff. (laughs) And if he gets himself into a spot of bother, he can quickly assemble what looks like an M16 or Colt M4. Probably go so far as to say the M4, because it is a rather compact gun. Fits into the case quite nicely. 
He has knives. He has a pistol in there. He has plenty of grenades and what looks like an RPG attachment for the M4. The pistol ostensibly looks like it should go into a holster, which is sculpted on his thigh. And that's something that I've always admired. If your figure comes with an included pistol and you don't have the sculpting technology to actually make the holster functional, make sure that the holster is sculpted empty. Mm. So there's no real overlap. It's very plausible that that pistol is what goes in that holster. And any G.I. Joe media that has portrayed Destro, particularly in those early outings, I'm thinking in the teens of the G.I. Joe run, have depicted him using this pistol and holstering it on his leg. And then there is the main jewel in the crown, which is the beautiful vac-metallized chrome head. I believe the same mold saw use on the version 2 gold-headed Destro. And it is gorgeous. It's never been surpassed since because, to my mind, Destro's silver helmet should be that. It should be a helmet. It should be a mask. It should not bear expression. It should be an unmoving piece of hardware. Oh, so you like the really hard lines on it, on the cheekbones, those. Absolutely. It's very straight triangular, yeah. There's an element of soullessness to it. The eyes are void. The mouth is a very pronounced slit. It's kind of evocative of Dr. Doom, if Dr. Doom was as ostentatious as to actually chrome up his faceplate. And I've always had a great resonance with that. The fact that there's a ridge line running over the center of his cranium also suggests to me that these are two very obvious halves that have been jammed together to encase his head. So it looks like it's more of a protective measure than just an heirloom. It looks like a piece of heavy equipment, and it looks like there could conceivably be a human head inside there, and quite high-tech devices and sophisticated gear crammed in there as well. Flash forward to 2007, when the 25th anniversary line was announced, we have the next version of Destro, Destro version 14, according to Yojo.com, which is a triumph in certain regards. It certainly was one of the finer figures to be included in that initial Cobra pack. I do like the fact that they've greyed his uniform instead of making it that very, very jet black. It looks more like fabric. They've done well to include a lot of wrinkles and detail to make it look like fabric. Where the figure does fall short, however, is the helmet. They opted to take off to the Palisades sculpture design, giving him very pronounced Frankenstein-type bolts at the base of the mask, mm-hmm. and by giving him these green glowing eyes. And it's definitely a case of Destro visiting the head shrinkers. I mean, you've got this enormous muscled neckline, complete with exposed veins, which gives way to this extremely small head sitting on top of it. So that was the main criticism of this figure. Other things that I just don't fancy as much, the holster is very much symptomatic of the time. While it is functional, it is extremely pronounced and quite boxy and only can accommodate a very conventional pistol, which is a shame because I always imagined Destro to come with his signature weapon and make sure that that was the one that he holstered. His wrist rockets and grenades are done very nicely. They're quite pronounced and are separate pieces that are glued in place. But I do not enjoy the fact that his entire gauntlets are silver metal hands, as opposed to the weapon portions being silver bands that clipped over a black glove. His included accessories are all rather passe, except for the case, which opens up to reveal his signature weapon. And I have two problems with this. Firstly, 
It's not a backpack, which I'm quite attached to with the original Destro. It just gave him more of a functional soldier look as opposed to a traveling arms salesman. It also keeps both his hands free. The second problem I have with the case is that the included pistol is not quite as stylized and elegant as his original weapon. It's quite stubby. It's the bastardization of that original gun. And it's it's sad to see that they didn't recreate possibly the most sterling G.I. Joe pistol. Another sadness about this version, and one that has not been corrected on subsequent versions of the same mold, is his left hand being non-functioning. His grip was initially intended to hold the case handle, but somewhere along the line in the tooling of this figure, these hands fused and became functionless, almost as functionless as a closed fist would have been, a la the Cobra Commander that came in that initial 25th anniversary battle pack. So I would give Hasbro's efforts in recreating the classic Destro action figure valiant effort. I would give it two out of three. It's yeah, it's definitely up- worth it too. It's a solid update, but it has lost some of the elements that make the 1983 Destro absolutely superb and one of my all-time favorite O-ring figures. Moving on to number two, we have from 1988, Hit and Run. In G.I. Joe book episode number two, I praised this figure enough already because I decided that his duffel bag was one of the finest G.I. Joe accessories ever produced. The figure, of course, is purely an extension of that amazing accessory. Hit and Run is probably the best concealed G.I. Joe figure ever. His colouring from head to toe in black and dark green make him an extremely easy action figure to lose. And to be honest, I lost my original Hit and Run very, very, very quickly. I would have had many cherished memories with this action figure had I not lost him. In fact, I think partly because of his absence and partly because of the coolness of one of his contemporaries, that being Shockwave, I think that if I hadn't lost Hit and Run, he would have been my premier Joe as a child. But with him out of the picture, the top spot was wide open for Shockwave to take that glory by just being another cool-looking, faceless Joe with a fantastic sculpt. But hey, we want to get back to Hit and Run. As I say, head to toe, a very cool figure, great coloring, great function. Being a mountaineer and an infantryman, he is the go-to guy for very arduous and challenging insertion operations. And to that extent, he was packaged as an exclusive with a Halo parachute pack. The hit-and-run target exclusive came with an exclusive file card which read as follows... Cobra is operating a sophisticated radar jamming station deep within the Rocky Mountains, and it must be destroyed. General Hawk has ordered Hit and Run, his most experienced behind-the-lines commando, to assault the radar station and blow it off the mountain. Wearing a camouflaged parachute pack and armed with enough explosives to ignite Manhattan Island, Hit and Run successfully parachutes to the base of the mountain. In an attempt to send Cobra's whole operation sky-high, Hit and Run places enough high-explosive mines around the station and the transmitter tower. While setting the charges to detonate in two minutes, two Vipers spot Hit and Run, evacuating the area. With the cliffs only ten yards ahead, Hit and Run pulls the ripcord on his parachute pack. The Vipers are closing in fast, with only seconds remaining before the whole mountain blows up. Will Hit and Run parachute over the cliffs and parachute to safety? Or will he be captured by the Vipers and go up in smoke when the mines explode? There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is reason enough why Hit and Run has got to be one of the coolest and most underrated G.I. Joes out there. So, uh, Justin Bell, this one's for you. 
Flash forward to 2009, I think it was, when the Assault on Cobra Island pack was announced. We have version 3, essentially, of Hit and Run. Though Yojo.com call him version 2 because they don't credit the Tiger Force Hit and Run as a official release of Hit and Run since it was a European exclusive. That aside, version 2 Hit and Run is an adequate figure without being an exceptional figure. Perhaps I'm being a bit harsh on it because, after all, how can a later version of what essentially, to my mind, is one of the finest old-school figures ever produced ever surpass its subject material. And this, I think, is going to be something that we will often be at loggerheads with in this debate tonight, that you can match the original detail for detail, but to surpass that initial figurine, you have to do something special, do something exceptional. Which version 2 does by including additional points of articulation and removable harnesses. But at the same time, they have divorced so much of what made Hit and Run such a cool figure. And that was, of course, his accessories. Yeah, you're just sad he didn't come with that cool bag. Absolutely. I'm sad he didn't come with that cool bag. (laughs) <laughs> of course, also being a Frank and Joe, he does suffer from some other teething problems which need to be doctored. For instance, he has General Hawk's arms, which have a very limited range of motion, which I have bladed back, which offers him better movement. For the rest of the figure, there are some, some successes. The helmet is now removable, and it's a nice helmet. He makes use of the Sergeant Airborne helmet and head, which are perfectly adequate for the task, especially when covered in green camo paint. And his rather garish shade of green can be easily dulled with a wash. So basically all my hit and run is waiting on is that sweet duffel bag. Luckily you have an original duffel bag. Yes, indeed. But I tell you, I'm a little bit wary of using it these days. The handle on that duffel bag is extremely fragile. I had two of them, actually. One from my original and one from one that I got via eBay later on in life. And the original is broken. So if that's a a sign of things to come, I'd better not be too rough with my second original duffel bag. All right. I think we're into that hallowed ground of my favorite all-time original, a real American hero O-ring style G.I. Joe or Cobra action figure. Say that ten times fast. Ladies and gentlemen, as you might have gathered by now, I get sold out pretty quickly on features. The reason Hit and Run is better than Destro is because of the duffel bag grapple hook. The reason Destro is better than Falcon is because of that sweet, sweet chromed head and opening case. But I put it to you, gents, that there is not a single O-ring G.I. Joe or Cobra figure that has more features than Zartan version 1 from 1984. Introducing Zartan. Zartan changes color in sunlight. There's Zartan! He's escaping in the chameleon! Let's go get him! Yo, Joe! But Zartan has a disguise. Where's Zartan? I don't know any Zartan. Zartan changes color in sunlight and Zartan comes with the chameleon. Other figures and equipment each sold separately from Hasbro. A figure of that size answers all of my questions. (laughs) Zartan 1984. You were to say, Rob. Yeah, it has more gimmicks than any other, Joe, if that's what you're looking for. Absolutely, and I'm all sold on gimmicks. Let me not deny that the character, the sculpt, everything that make it a regular action figure is perfection. The sort of vacuousness of his white eyes, the look of just a stone-cold killer, make him a rather chilling figure to behold. 
He's done up in some fantastic colors. The burgundy and the black just have like a spookiness to them. He looks like something that really clawed its way out of a swamp, which is characterization that I actually laud from the Action Force interpretation of Zartan, where he was portrayed as a hulking swamp maniac who very much had his own agenda and did not communicate to anyone. He didn't follow orders. He was a sadistic killing machine who strangled and bombed G.I. Joe's left, right, and center while Cobra was trying to make a structured attack on a G.I. Joe training base. Zartan was just cruising around the swamp, gathering information and conducting a rather murderous campaign with absolutely no regard for discipline or human life, (laughs) which is something that I've tried to mirror in my characterization of Zartan. He's not affiliated with bikers. He's not affiliated with siblings with pink hair. He's very much his own operative with no past. Getting into the features that this action figure has. It's like a deep breath, folks. We're about to plunge headfirst. The most prominent feature is, of course, his color-changing ability. Place Zartan in sunlight, and he will start to go blue. You can remove his body armor up front to expose more flesh that will also go blue. And this is very cool, because if you don't expose that flesh, you'll have these great tan lines. It's (laughs) terrific. Anything that hasn't seen sun contact remains flesh-colored. So you can leave him facing face upwards into the sun and his back will still be fleshy and I just think while they've gone some lengths to explain that condition it's almost best left a mystery it just speaks to the fact that this is not a human being by any stretch of the imagination this is something supernatural which in the very modest dose that we got with Zartan was quite palatable it didn't strain my disbelief too much and just made him look and feel like something quite otherworldly Zartan was just the right balance of science fiction and fantasy and real-world soldier. Because aside from his rather unique traits, he had some very serious martial arts and military training, if his file card is anything to go by, which is also a rather mysterious-sounding file card, I must say. He has a sheet of labels that you can place into transparent pieces on his armor, which also have color-changing properties. But these are thermochromatic. They're activated by heat or cold as opposed to light. So if you put him in the freezer, his decals will go, I believe, a shade of red. I'm a bit scared of putting my Zartan in a freezer. But I did, however, put the decals in the warm sun this afternoon, and yes, indeed, the decals still do their thing. They still change color to first a green and then quite a dark shade of blue, which I suppose will mirror the blue that his flesh changes to when placed in sunlight. You flip him around, and he's wearing a backpack, but not just any backpack. This is tantamount to what they use in Mission Impossible, I guess, to make and design a face mask, which slips quite seamlessly under his hood and disguises him as... Our Liam Neeson. Jesus Christ. <laughs> or Liam Neeson. To this day, it's still a very well-sculpted face. It just does stick out a bit far and is not that plausible that, you know, Zartan could fool anyone by, you know... Uh, Simply changing his face, because I'm sure they did not notice that he was what clothes he was wearing. Well, they knew he was blue at the time, which is so useful. 
<laughs> Turn blue. That's just the most useful ability I've ever heard for a military agent. Turn blue when he's in the sunlight. Maybe if he could turn blue while he was in the darkness. But hey, look, guys, I am just so pleased that a G.I. Joe could have included all these features. It just blows my mind apart. Didn't the original one come with the swamp skier? Absolutely. Yeah. Though I would, I would correct you slightly on that point, Paul. It's not a case of a vehicle driver being included with a vehicle. Yeah. We're getting Zartan with his included swamp skier. Huh. Yeah. It, like, the selling point was the character. Mm-hmm. The vehicle was just... An added extra, mm. which to my mind means another feature. And the swamp skier <laughs> can load with its own plethora of features, like its color changing ability, like the fact that you could break down its parts and store it in a little box, which once again they managed to work into the Action Force comic book a lot more successfully than the Marvel comic book, mm. where he actually managed to disguise his swamp skier, which he was using to reconnoiter the G.I. Joe base by chucking it in this box and making it look like junk, just discarded on the banks of the swamp. So G.I. Joe paid it no mind, which I thought was pretty cunning. In the Marvel run of G.I. Joe, they just sort of had him riding it through oh, the swamps. Did they do something in the, the modern era? Comp- Devil's Dew showed it. He escaped from his compound in the Everglades on the back of it, along with his daughter, Zanya. Once again, expanding Zartan's family mm, just kind of hurts. Oh. It hurts him in my eyes. Hurts the mystery <laughs> of the character, definitely. Absolutely. And I mean, he came with a fantastic little pistol. I absolutely adore his pistol. Once again, beautiful. Not quite as beautiful as Destro's, but certainly a dainty piece, and one that I'm glad that they've they've done a faithful reproduction of with the 25th anniversary line. It's a nice to have a new generation of G.I. Joe fans able to enjoy all that the original Zartan was without having to get one on eBay, which is starting to cost a pretty penny. There's an element to Zartan that makes him a very difficult figure to find in mint condition, and that's the fact that his body halves are fused together. Hmm. Unscrewing him will have no effect I guess this was perhaps a side effect of his color-changing ability. Once that O-ring is gone, you're going to have to buy a new one or try your hardest to split the two body halves apart without snapping him in unpleasant ways. Probably not advised. So, did they manage to do him justice in the 25th anniversary? I say yes. Paul says yes. So would that get your three stars? It would totally get my three stars. I take it you're referring to what Yojo would classify as the version 14, which came with a mini swamp skier. Yeah, the single carded. Okay, well, that's a bit of a laughable inclusion, but cute anyway. Mm. I would say he fails on a number of grounds. One, accessory. The backpack splits apart way too easily. Gone are the little clasps that hold it together. And the joint is a rather thick one that just springs open on its own. I don't know if yours has the same problem, but mine has gotten to the point when it doesn't stay closed for very long. So. Mine's pretty sturdy, I must admit. I mean, I, I'm a, I don't like to mess with it too much because I'm scared of the, the hinge breaking. I have two vintage Zartan backpacks and neither hinges are close to breaking. So it's a more sturdy joint than I think we give it credit. Uh, but, yeah, mine just pops open like it has a will of its own. And the interior detailing is gone. The face mask, which now has these strange blue pupils. I don't know if I agree with that. But the interior is a large cavity 
with no real recess to fit the mask snugly, which the original did have. The mask yeah. fits into a, a recess and doesn't really go anywhere. Whereas on the new one, that mask is just kind of rattling around there. Though they do have some nice technical detail sculpted in there, so it's plausible that this is still the same mask-making technology. It's nice that he has a knife sheath that functions. This is a detail that was on the 1984 version, but of course was non- a non-functioning knife sheath. But I think the face sculpt kind of loses points a bit. It's a bit more squashed. It doesn't quite have that same murderous visage. That the I don't know. I think it's very cool. He's got a kind of a smoke to him. Yes, which I like. because it, it shows that he's menacing, which I like quite a bit. Crazy. I like the soulless, expressionless face that the original had. Yeah. I personally, out of the 25th anniversary versions, prefer version 13, which is the initial 25th anniversary version. And I'll give you my reasoning. It doesn't make use of the gung-ho torso. I don't like exactly how cut that torso is. It looks very Sigma-6 and very anime in its stylings. I do like Zartan actually covering up a bit more. I mean, if you're not going to give him the color change feature, why have all that exposed flesh? Yeah, why show off his midriff? Exactly. And the face sculpt is excellent. I don't think they've used it since, and I think that's a great shame because this looks like Billy Crudup from Nightfall on the Terradrome. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? YouTube. It's, it is superb. It gets a cast of A-listers to play G.I. Joe and Cobra characters in this very amusing music video. Yeah, I recommend it to every G.I. Joe fan out there. It's brilliant. The version 13, Zartan, does have some semblance of the color change feature. It's no longer light-sensitive, just like the stickers on the original. Uh, thermobaric. It's, it's thermochromatic, yes. If you put him in a freezer, he'll go blue. If you take him out, he'll return to normal color. Unfortunately, if you live in the colder climes, his face will probably spend a lot more time just being green. <laughs> Very <laughs> sick. Thankfully, in South Africa, our climate uh, allows my Zartan to have a normal flesh tone hue. So what do I think of this Zartan? I'd give him two out of three. He isn't quite the original, but then again, as I've said before, I'm holding these 25th anniversary style figures up to an impossibly high standard. I'm comparing essentially remakes to what were the best figures out of a line of over 500 figures, but it's an adequate portrayal and one that I think is a dying breed. I don't know if we're going to get another classic, classic Zartan. I think Zartan has gone through so many revisions and version changes that we're likely to not see a revisit to his original stylings in the near future. So we're going to have to make do for now. And I'd say version 13, Zartan, is probably the best one you can make do with. I do get where you're coming from with the abs, but I think my my first impression on it was, this is how they're going to do abs, and until they do it better, I'd, I'd prefer to reserve my judgment. And they have done it better if you look at figures like Road Pig. He's got a great midriff. And also Thrasher. He's also got a very cool midriff. I'm sure they'd use a similar midriff in a revision of Zartan himself. And let's not forget the POC Zartan has also got a pretty good body sculpt as well. It takes away from the anime a bit. Desert Attack Zartan? Mm-hmm. That's a- Which 
a superb torso, one that I think would happily be made into a, an updated Revised, yeah. original Zartan. And hopefully they could slim down the chest armor a bit, because I must admit, it does look a bit like a football player. I think that concludes my top five vintage G.I. Joe Cobra figures of all time. On to the next, gentlemen. This is Paul. I'm in. I've always loved the science fiction element of Cobra. So when I was first introduced to a greater collection of G.I. Joe figures, namely my friend David's uh, collection, I found that one of the first figures I remember grabbing was the very purple Techno Viper. (laughs) Uh, As a small tribute to our What's On Your Mind friends, he has got a purple helmet. And... (laughs) And so just I a small tribute. <coughs> small tribute. As a small purple helmet. Yeah, well, he's a three and three and three quarter inch figure. I mean, you know, let's give him a break. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's the motion in the ocean, guys. Totally. What I loved about this toy, and it's something you'll find in a lot of the Joes that I enjoy, is that it's also a feature-packed or accessory-packed Joe. Uh, much like Steve. I have quite an affinity for accessories on Joe figures, and I do feel that they really do a lot to enhance the character's appeal. Now, a Techno Viper is, as many of you may know, is just a Cobra field engineer. He's a dude that goes on there and repairs downed vehicles and fixes them up quickly and carries a pretty nifty laser gun or plasma gun or whatever the hell it is around. Arc welder. Arc welder. Maybe. But at at the time, it was a pretty mean-looking plasma gun. And I also discredited the fact that he may have been human. I always thought of them being like robots because, you know, they do have a sort of robotic face. They're kind of they're menacing looking. I love the variation in the color. I mean, it's purple and purple and purple, but it's done well. It's a great meshing of all the colors. The mouthpiece really screams Cylon. Yes, it, I was going to say that now. It's got a very Cylon appeal, which modern Paul managed to pick up because past Paul didn't watch Battlestar Galactica. Also, he's got some of the coolest accessories. The little claw arm, the wrench, and the hammer which would often find its way into our little G.I. Joe battles. There would be quite a lot of melee combats. You know, sometimes a gun would short out or whatever. They all had these hoses that connected to the backpack. The fact that you could keep all three weapons on the backpack, it just really, really worked. And the hoses were interchangeable. You could put the hose on the rifle instead. I love little features like that. And he's always stood as one of the vipers that I really wanted. And what you're going to find in this list is that very few of the figures that I love from the real American hero, I never owned, but I had a lot of time playing with. So now we segue into the modern era version of the Techno Viper. Ooh, it's so cool. <laughs> it is oh my God. super cool. They could not have paid this figure a greater compliment. One of the things that you have to do to make a modern era better than the classic is you have to take all the things that make the classic great. In the case of the Techno Viper, the sculpt and the weapon pack. And then you have to kind of one-up it a little because it's supposed to be a modern-era sculpt. And I feel that the Techno Viper, they really did do a good job of one-upping it. For starters, no longer is he a single-molded figure. He has a removable vest, which has got the pipe, the Cobra sigil on it. Um, It also uses a slightly darker purple, which is a lot easier to the eye. Absolutely. It fits nicer with the Cobra Legions. If Cobra's primary color is blue... To have the different flavor vipers kind of cluttering that up really is a bit of an eyesore. But by dulling his purple, you've kind of made him a bit closer to blue. So he still looks unique by being a technician, but But he doesn't look like someone that is going to immediately attract everyone's attention. No, he's not garish. He's just really well put together. And I 
am a huge fan of the re-sculpt on his mask. It's got a bit of that Cylon quality that the original had, but it is so menacing. It's so creepy. Yeah, it looks like something from Fallout 3. They've yeah. sharpened all the lines. Oh, it's beautiful, man. And it's a lot more aggressive. I dig that. I love the fact his little belt with the little Cobra sigil on it with the gun holster. Now, you know, he comes with a small laser pistol, which I love. It's very classic. It's very much something that I would expect a techno viper to carry. It looks <laughs> like a laser pistol. It, uh, it holsters really well. The, it's on the same side that the originals was. Yes, exactly, that you couldn't take out because it was just sculpted on. He's a lefty. Yeah, he's a lefty, and I love it. The tools were uh, subtly re-sculpted in ways, and they hold better in his hands. Once again, the hoses make a return, and the backpack makes a return, and that's great because that's a feature I loved in the original. And it's once again shown itself here, and with some extra red paint to show us that we got two canisters in the back. It's got a small sculpting for a little pressure gauge. Um, he can hold the handle without fear of snapping his finger off. <laughs> and he comes with an extra, which is a green cone, which I've made quite a lot of good use out of because I, I troop build these guys. Or when I say troop build, I got two. They're my main guys in the Cobra hangar. And I use these little cones to sort of indicate that, you know, they're working on that unit. So I've got two of them on the Night Raven currently with the engine bay open and they kind of look like, you know, they're sharing a few jokes. I'd hazard to say that the Techno Viper is the perfect example of a figure actually surpassing its source material. Yes. Another example would be the Renegade's Storm Shadow. I just want to add one reason about the Techno Viper as to why it, it surpasses its original. They slimmed down the welder or plasma gun or whatever you want to call it. His yeah. primary instrument of destruction is a lot sleeker and more slender than the original yes which works it works so stunningly well if they just recreated the original i'd be happy but it's even better than the original in a previous episode we spoke about a gi joe game and in a game called battlefield which many of you i'm sure know you get to play a class called an engineer and an engineer comes with a welding torch which uh you use to repair your vehicle so if your guys are in a tank and tank takes out too much damage you quickly jump out the tank, switch to your welder, and repair the tank. And I can just imagine these guys doing the same kind of thing in a you know, semi-fictional kind of universe. Or even in my play, I've had them like getting out of his tanks to repair them and that kind of thing. So they've just made a great compliment to my toy experience. And I really love the Techno Vipers. And I'm very glad that I've been able to buy my own. If I had to give it stars, it definitely deserves three. <laughs> Three out of three. It really shows how good Hasbro can be when they are being good. This is what you get when Hasbro has their A game. You know, unlike Falcon, which was mentioned by you, Steve. Falcon was not their A game, but original Falcon was. Incidentally, I didn't give the 25th anniversary Falcon a star rating because I wasn't going to give it any stars. (laughs) It's just horrible. (laughs) That horrible face sculpt. Oh, those horrible colors. (laughs) Number four on my line. Also a figure I never owned, but I absolutely loved. It, to me, is one of the more menacing troop builders in the line is the Iron Grenadiers. The Iron Grenadiers have such a, I'm almost scared to say, Nazi-esque quality to them. And when I was a kid, they appealed to me greatly because... They kind of reminded me of the sort of stormtroopers that they used in the He-Man film. They had this uh, menacing quality to them. You could tell that they have rank and file because of how they wear their battle dress. They're just fantastic. They they do have a little bit of an S&M quality, I have to say. The whole black leather thing is definitely there. But You could have gone with a whole Darth Vader thing, but you went with S&M. 
Thanks a lot, Paul. Sorry, it's just Darth Vader <laughs> immediately come to mind when I was thinking of the, the Grenadiers. <laughs> shows you how messed up I am. But yeah. great toy. And one of my favorite things in it, and, and this is probably the one figure in this collection, actually, that doesn't have a great feature necessarily or truly amazing accessories, save for one. It's got a little red pistol that it comes with. And that was a laser. That was like this high-powered pinpoint laser that you could hold in your hand. It was always regarded as like one of the coolest guns that you could give a Joe. And I think they re-released it in later lines on part of those pegs, but it suits the Grenadier. It is a very Destro kind of pistol. It fits very snugly in their hands. Um, I remember it being a, a favorite of mine because it didn't fall out so easily. And pistols were quite a favorite of mine in the old Joe line because they were easier to carry with the Joes and they could be held more realistically. His uh, submachine gun, on the other hand, which yeah. was brutal on the hands. I don't think I've managed to get it into his hands before I lost my IG. It's sadly too big. It was just a tad too big to be a real machine gun. I think even when I was a kid, I felt it was too big. Um, oh. You know, there were certain weapons that just seemed oversized, and the submachine gun was one of those that fell into that pit. And something that annoyed me as a kid, but as a collector now, I can appreciate what Hasbro were trying to do, is the ceremonial dress sword. It's really, really well sculpted. It's actually a really great accessory. It's It's got some fantastic little details, a little bit of finagree on it. You can see it's a ceremonial sword. I love the, the way that they've done the strap for it. It's just really well thought out in a lot of ways save for the fact that you can't actually take it out of the sheath and use it as a weapon. But then again, it's ceremonial. Uh, and only until I read the comic books did I actually see them pull them out once or twice or once and, and use them. But I'm sure that didn't stop kids from using them as a sword. It didn't stop me. I mean, we were at a stage we were contemplating cutting off the strap and then just sort of having it as a sword. Mm. I, I know that... Um, because David's uh, Chinese and he's from Hong Kong, so he was exposed to a lot more anime when he was younger, and he found uses for the swords which were very anime-esque, you know, that, that it was kind of a relic and, you know, little things like that. Just to get onto the figure sculpting, I love the red, black, and gold scheme on it. Um, it's a color scheme which, as I've grown older, I've grown to like quite a bit. Um, I'm not a huge fan of gold. But when it's used in subtle manner, like it is on this figure, I think it's really appreciated. And these figures are just very scary. And I remember as a kid, when I looked at it, I went, if this thing was real, it would freak me out. It would be such a frightening thing to see. And I could just imagine hordes of these guys coming into cities, kicking down doors and just shooting. And when you find out what they actually are on their file cards, you, you find out that they are very much Destro's complement to a Crimson God. It kind of makes them a little cooler. And also, in my imagination, the figure design itself surpasses the card art a little. Now, onto the modern era figure. I'm very impressed with what they did. When I got this figure, I didn't actually know where his body sculpt had come from. So if anybody tells me that this is Cobra Commander's body sculpt, it takes me a while to click. Because every time I see the battle armor Cobra Commander, I keep seeing, oh wow, they've reused Iron Grenadier, but it's the other way around. <laughs> Unfortunately, he doesn't have the same sort of appeal that the original has, uh, the original having the cool button-up suit with a lot of the almost Gestapo styling. The new one is a lot more German techno, if I can put it that way. He he came out really well. I felt that the paint applications on him, the few that there are, they've uh, severely minimized the gold on him versus the other. They used a lot uh, a more muted tone. And they've put it together really well. It's a very convincing sculpt. The head sculpt is fantastic. 
it's not quite right. Something's missing with it versus the original. It's almost a little too chubby. But Because it's working off that armored torso. Exactly. There's a lot of flair and accent and bulkiness that perhaps a foot soldier shouldn't have. I mean, that sort of armored up look needs to be reserved for either a very specialized troop or a Cobra commander. If there's one tiny improvement they've done over the original, it's that bandolier that goes over his shoulder, his shoulder or pauldron and bandolier, and his sword are now separate items that you can remove. And the sword is well holstered on him. It looks a little big in some regards, but it still has that same appeal that the original did when it was on the figure. It's the same sword that they gave to Destro, but you can see in the tooling on the belt, with the sword sheath, they've tried to do a modernized version of what was originally done, which I have to give them kudos for because that is a pretty cool design. And if they had to make it a removable sword, they'd have to have bulked it up like they have. And they did great work there. Sadly, the submachine gun is a huge loss again. They needed to slim it down, did they? That submachine gun's for a different scale of action figure. I'm serious. That's terrible. And then his little laser pistol, which is actually the same one that the Techno Viper would inherit is great with the little glass red coloring. It It is reminiscent of the original V-nosed laser pistol from the original, and it passes. It's a pass. It's just sad that it doesn't really have a holster, <laughs> which does suck a little bit, especially if you want to have these guys just standing at attention without a gun in their hand. You have to sort of keep the weapon somewhere offside, uh, which is a bit sad for me, as I like to have them surrounding Destro almost as if they're protecting him. And I've got a great variant of one, which is a purple mask, which is from the Toys R Us exclusive three pack that um, Steve helped arrange for me. Sure, which is, sure. You know, I've pretty much got all the variations of the this Iron Grenadier that they've done in the modern line. And just one more plus I have to say for this figure is the POC re-release of the Iron Grenadier. It's sheer class. I have to say it's a great modernization of of the original concept. It pretty much gets rid of a lot of the old ideas of the suit and rather chooses to go for a more heavily armored Iron Grenadier, which is very reminiscent of the Hellghost troops from the Killzone game, video game on PS3 and PS2. Also, he comes with a pretty sweet gun, and a lot of you guys might recognize it as just a smart gun from Alien, and it is beautiful. I think it works better for them than, than it would have worked for Destro. And they just look menacing. They are huge figures, very scary, but you get a lot of great value with a modern figure, it having come with two separate backpacks, an ammo belt, the gun, the same rifle that comes with the paratrooper, oddly enough, and yeah, all of these armor, which is... It does just seem like it's pushing the boundaries on the scaling a bit. I mean, we're definitely not operating in 1 to 18 scale anymore when I look at that figure. Yes. And you need only look as far as the weapon itself. That's also a bit on the oversized side. If the smart gun was reduced in scale, like Steve says, I think it would marry with the figure a little better. But yeah, it's just great to see the Iron Grenadier not suffer from, you know, Hasbro being bad. I mean, for starters, the original IG is a Franken-Joe, and for a Franken-Joe, he works exceptionally well, and to once again see them do the same thing, also doing a Franken-Joe for a heavy Iron Grenadier, it's quite a win, and yeah, I'd have to give it a solid two. It doesn't quite hit a three, because like I said, the the mask is a little bit chunky on the original uh, remake, and it would have been a serious winner in my eyes if they had uh, recreated the original chest. Not so much the legs, I'm happy with the legs, but just the chest plate. They could have done something a little bit more special there, but hey, I love him, and he's on number four. Number three, the Snow Serpent. 
Okay, not a name for a Mac OS software, but great styling on this figure. A lot of great detail. Arctic Troopers, as Steve may have mentioned in earlier shows, are a little lost on us here in South Africa. And you sad- mentioned it, Paul. Don't settle that with me. Oh, did you? Oh, did I mention it? Oh, yeah. yeah. You said that uh, we enjoy Arctic Troopers because we don't get much exposure to the snow, or something like that. Hey, like so. Sadly, <laughs> much use for them, but we can imagine. And um, snow serpents. My first exposure to a snow serpent was actually the version two that came with the cool purple serpent snowboard with the jetpack on the back, which is, I think, pretty cool still. Yes, but, it was one of your top five GI Joe accessories mm. ever. Yeah. Yeah, because I got so much fun out of it. Yeah, with uh, the Snow Serpent, once again, it's a figure that David owned. I got a lot of mileage out of it. I especially love the fact that it's got features, features, features. And those features being that you could connect its missile pod, snow cone maker, you know, mortar, if you prefer, to its backpack. And it had a cool little um, mounting stand, which was removable. It also came with two snowshoes, which I thought were a neat touch. It was actually the first time I've seen snowshoes. And a cool little blue pack that would strap around his, um, his midriff. I'm not really sure what it's meant to be, but I'm sure it's got a lot of gear, like, you know, all kinds of weird Arctic gear that he needs to carry. It or could- a parachute. Him and the AVAC. Him and the AVAC. His rifle is pretty cool. It's an AK-47. The only validity I can give for him having an AK-47 is that the gun had seen a lot of Soviet use, so it must be pretty well primed for the, the temperature, so maybe Cobra felt that it was a K. It's also pretty much the de facto Cobra rifle. Yeah, by 1985, which is the year of the Snow Serpent's release, the Viper hadn't debuted, and you're still dealing with blue shirts, which are very much armed with Warsaw Pact's small no. arms, no. you know, AKs and Dragonovs. So, you know, his weapon compliment is very cool and these guys are just really well sculpted there's nothing i can fault the original snow serpent on the only thing is that you do need more than one i'd say if you want to operate a wolf you know and they look cool when they're in the wolf a wolf definitely needs a snow serpent for it to look very effective and um it had some fantastic molding i mean the backpack itself has got some great molding to it and once again this figure i feel translated very well into modern era sculpt with having a slightly darker paint scheme on him. In the original, there's something that it has. I can't put my finger on what it is exactly that it has that feel a little more real than the modern era. But the modern era really has something special. The whole harness that holds these parachutes, it's loose. It's not a molded quality anymore. It's awesome. The furry uh, gauntlets and the furry uh, shoulder pads. You mentioned that it it feels less real, the 25th anniversary version. Could that be because of its enhanced stature? It's quite a tall figure. And it makes a snow serpent look like a yeti, almost, together with the very furry gauntlets and shoulders, whereas the original snow serpent looked like a pretty standard troop. The 25th anniversary snow serpent looks enormous. Yeah, he is kind of Sasquatchian. I I guess they just get very burly, big guys to operate out there in the cold. The backpack is a pretty faithful recreation of the original. If I'm not mistaken, it's pretty much the original uh, with a different pig. Once again, the, the missile launcher and stand are very similar, with the stand having a slightly better quality of molding. The plastic quality used is the slightly more bendy plastic, yes, and it gives it a duller tone as compared to the, the brittle original, which I think is a success, actually. It doesn't give a kind of a glare when you glint 
sunlight or light source of it. Looks more like fabric. One thing they really captured on the modern era sculpt, though, is the face. You can really get a very accurate understanding of the helmet. The original has a slightly goofy tinge to it, but I like that. I think it's a very cool quality. It's slightly goofy, but scary at the same time. The new one carries it forward, but goes less goofy, more scary, more frightening. The snowshoes with the extra pegs so that you can put it on the stand and in his feet at the same time is a nice touch on the modern era. The removable fur and the removable harness is a great feature, which does take it a little bit higher than the original. The fact that its parts have been reused quite creatively in future lines also shows that the sculpting and the actual design of the figure was quite forward-thinking of of Hasbro uh, to have the, the removable pockets to be changed to other things. So I have to give Snow Serpents 3 out of 3. I agree with you fully, my friend. Three out of three from me, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they just went yeah the extra mile with this guy. It's perfection. And it leads me to question why they considered doing a updated, vintage, modern-era style snow serpent. But I guess they must think that there's something really special that they want to improve on. Or not. That version might not ever see the light of day. But it's interesting to me that someone had the time to spread their expertise as far as recreating or trying to build upon what I deem to be perfection. And just as a side note, he fits pretty well in the wolf. I dispute that. I don't think he could ever drive it. He fits in well enough to you know, have fun with. He doesn't sit very comfortably, but he sits no, well. Uh, what I mean is he'll never sit into the pilot station of the wolf. Oh. He would sit perhaps in the gunner section, the rear seat. Have you managed to fit him into the pilot station? In the front. He's not as comfortable as he would be in the back seat. You managed to close the canopy on him? Yeah. Remarkable. I need to try that. Be careful. Yeah, just be careful. Take it slow. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tight fit. Tight figure. Just to mention, his rifle is pretty well recreated. It's an AK. I mean, you can't go too far with it, but they have changed the buttstock on the, the modern era, and I say it's for the better. They don't have that wrist articulation, which is actually fine, but they hold their guns pretty well. He had pretty good hands. He articulates a little bit higher up than the wrist. Yes. There is still a cut. Yes. A cut joint. Yeah, no, he's he's great. And now, on to... Number two on my list. Okay, this is a big Holy Grail figure for me. This is a figure neither Dave nor I had. But it's a, it's a toy I wanted so badly in G.I. Joe and never ever got. But I felt that my want for it was enough to put it on this list. And that, my friends is the Alley Viper. I love the Alley Viper. Fanta flavor. I love blue and orange uh, as complementaries. I've always been a big fan of them, especially in um, in the Mega Man series or the Rockman series, if you prefer. Uh, he actually, You actually fight an enemy. I think it's Napalm Man. And when he dies, you get the blue and orange color scheme for Rockman when he uses the weapon. And I always thought it looked pretty cool. And that always reminded me of the Alley Viper. And for being a grail figure and for being something that i never had my hands on i always imagined how cool this toy would be and when i finally got a chance to get up close and personal with it through you know mediums like yojo.com and other you know toy review sites i've actually seen that i've been justified in my ones for it it um has a very menacing face it's got a great sculpt the little pouches on the right shoulder are very cool the little knife that was sculpted on the original is great he's got cool uh, elbow pads He's got the Cobra insignia on a band on his arm. He is fantastic. And he has some of my favorite accessories and my favorite helmet. It's a very creepy-looking helmet. It covers his face, much like the Vipers do. 
but it's almost more offensive. Um, I know in the original card art, it's meant to have a bit of a slit, but I always prefer the toy having that coverage. And and all of what he's seeing is digital. So it's a feedback. It's what the suit might see. It might have little cameras somewhere or something, and he's getting all kinds of feedback. Uh, and I love that technology. I always l- lamented that. Mm. I always wanted the 25th anniversary version to mirror the card arts by giving him a slit. You know, having that piece fold down just to cover his mouth and leaving a portion at the top. It's interesting. Sort of like a medieval knight. But if I'm perfectly honest with myself, mm-hmm. I think if they had done that, I would have wanted it to mirror the action figure and not the <laughs> card art. So I just, I just basically, uh, yeah, I, I want, I want the thing that I can't have. <laughs> I do agree, Paul. It's nice that it is complete coverage of his face. It's protection and will offer, as you say, a sort of a digital readout, perhaps other vision of modes that he can activate. Very high-tech stuff, very Cobra. Yes, and he had a great rifle. I think his rifle is one of the craziest-looking rifles in, in the line. From what I can tell, it's not something that would fit very well in the hands of the figure. And it doesn't look like the rifle would work very well, much like the the Night Viper's rifle. Snap uh, a few fingers there. Yep. Uh, it's oversized, but in a cool way, because it's a cool gun. It's got a lot of accessories and additions, and it's got a foregrip and stock and some kind of weird extra mag on the side. It's it's a very sci-fi, but 50 days in the future kind of look to it. The backpack was also immaculately detailed. It had uh, the three little grenades. You can see it's got a whole system there for the repelling gear with what looks like a removable gun with a grappling hook, but it was not actually removable. So tantalizing. Mm. Yeah, the limitation of many fans, I'm sure. I was always hopeful that was actually a grappling hook, much in the same vein as the Rock Vipers. Cool, cool design for the backpack. I love it. And uh, the shield is something that, uh, when I looked at it the first time, uh, it's just it's such a cool-looking shield. It's just very, also very aggressive. You know, it's got the sharp points on it. It's got the camo that's been done well, the little cobra sigil. But now looking at it, I know that he could never really hold it the way I would have wanted him to. But it is still a great shield. Nonetheless, the little gaps there so he could hold the shield in front of him and rest the gun on the shield and shoot, you know, as they sort of charge forward and breach stuff. Cool figure. And yeah, I don't want to say I love Day Glow, but this is an instance where I really love a bright orange figure <laughs> other than, say, a Hazard Viper. You're forgiven, Paul. Bright orange is only possible when we're talking about 1989's Alley Viper. Fast forward into the future we get this little box set called The Defense of Cobra Island, and the main feature for myself at the time was to get an Alley Viper, which I did. This was uh, pretty much in the genesis of my modern G.I. Joe collecting days. Prior to this, I had gotten a Baroness from the movie and a Battle Android Trooper with a Zartan to follow, and this was the next in my arrivals list. And I have to say that it was finally great to have this figure in my hand. Now, I never knew that his parts were actually reused from Snake Eyes. Uh, yeah, he's a bit of a Franken Joe, I mean, but I didn't realize this. Uh, a lot of that stuff seemed like it was meant to be there. The vest is fantastic. It's a great reproduction of the original. In some ways, it's better because it looks like a vest, uh, so it has a bit of a flak jacket potential to it. The fact that Hasbro went as far as to paint the actual straps and um, camo on the on the chest and torso underneath that 
says a lot to me about Hasbro then. The helmet are being removable, having a slightly better design, a slightly more aerodynamic design. They do definitely deliver the sort of space-age feel that I thought they would have. Once again, no slit, but then again, I'm happy with that concept. Painted Cobra sigils. And embossed Cobra sigils mm. on them, nicely sculpted in there. The knife now removable on his chest. Both of them. Both the knives on his chest. No, man. Sorry, the knife on his chest and, of course, the one in his wrist sheath. Yes. Oh. This was an event. I've actually got photographs <laughs> when I got away and I opened it up and I took out all this stuff because it was amazing. And then for them to do the shield the way, the way that they had and for the modern era sculpt Joe to be able to hold the shield and use that shield in a way that's kind of accurate was very cool. The submachine gun was the only sad point for me. It's a very cool looking submachine gun. It is very much the same machine gun, but it's also not the same machine gun. It's not as fantastical in some ways, but it is more practical. It's, it's very much a UMP or a MP5 kind of looking thing, but with an extended clip. It's cool. It really does work, and I wouldn't give my Alley Vipers anything else. The removable grappling gun and the backpack is once again molded in immaculate detail. Little fine point now that you can remove the grappling gun. And the only two problems with this figure that I've found that do mar it a little bit, but it's not the end of the world, is that the grappling gun sadly falls out the backpack very easily. You could just sneeze and it would fall off. So I've got my my original orange Alley Viper. It's got that little elastic band to keep it all connected together. Mm, mine too. Yep. It's, it's a common solution until, of course, they re-released this action figure. Mm, and you have that, don't you, Stephen? And so does Paul. Yeah, they put a little uh, post that goes into the trigger guard. So smart. Also, I love the fact that the nightstick fits in the shield. You know, it's, it's a great sort of backup close-range weapon. It's the one time I actually think that if I had to get a classic Ali Viper now, I would actually be disappointed with the original because the modern era has really surpassed the original. I think that characterizes your top five as opposed to mine. Mine is very much a case of like, these are my ultimate O-ring figures and remakes can never quite nail them. Whereas you've picked some extremely competent 25th anniversary re-releases. Yeah, well, that was the goal. You know, these are some of my favorite toys as well. And there's a lot of stuff that hasn't come out yet. Rob has mentioned a target. Things that I'd love to see how they, they take that in a Heat Viper and an Annihilator. But until then, you know, I'm very happy with the Alley Vipers. And I'm really, really happy with the modern color scheme that they did for the POC line. The black with the burgundy helmets. And the uh, chevrons. And the shield. And they just look so cool on a Cobra. Fury, like that vehicle was made for Alley Vipers. Paul, you did say you had two criticisms of the 25th anniversary Alley Viper, and the one was the grapple gun falling off at a moment's notice. What was the other one? He doesn't seem to hold the submachine gun as well as you'd like. The POC one seems to have a revi- something that they did to the hands. But the original, I find that he drops it quite often. I don't know if it's just mine. Rob has a defensive island seven-pack Alley Viper. What's your take on how he holds the gun? Mine seems to hold it really well. I mean, I'm kind of flailing him around in the air right now. He's not letting go. I think it's just yours, Paul. Sorry, Paul. Uh, It could just be mine. Yeah, we could swap. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. I really, really like mine. I mean, it's mine. I got a second Defensive Cobra Island pack. Um, it was a bit of a confusion in an order, and I haven't yet opened it. Purely because my original Orange Alley Viper is, he's like the highest ranking of them all. He's the ace. He wears the brightest colors because he wants to. <laughs> peacocking. He's peacocking, yeah, the whole yeah. way. But also, another three out of three stars for Modern Era Joe. To be fair, I'm going to give the original a two out of three stars because the original didn't have the removable backpack. And because, as I mentioned, if I had to get an original now and put it next to the Modern Era 
I feel the original would fail a little. Boo! <laughs> Makes you wonder why you chose the Alley Viper in the first place. Just so you could talk about how cool the 25th anniversary version was. Hey, Paul, admit it. You got me. <laughs> so, what is your number one best num- original G.I. Joe or Cobra action figure? My number one is a figure that I regard as one of the best real American hero Cobras. I uh, saw a lot of use in the animated series. I'm talking about the Cobra Battle Android Trooper, the yellow and black original. When I first saw these guys, I knew they were robots. Why? Because they had that little lenticular device on the chest that had the little moving parts. So cool. So, so cool. I always thought it was a bit weird, like, Oh, okay, you know, it's a weak point, that's where you should shoot. But then David did something crazy on the figure, and he removed its wrist on the right hand to reveal that the weapons were actually removable and interchangeable. This blew my mind as a kid. I've always been a big fan of robots and sci-fi, as I've mentioned, and I'm mentioning it again. So I really love the concept of Cobra having killer robots. And this guy is immaculately sculpted. I think he's his head's a little big, but it's it's cool. It's, it's expressionless in a lot of ways. They kind of have a bit of a, a sad, vacant look to them. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. They're kind of creepy in that regard. I love all of the yellow sculpting on it. The the yellow is very loud, but it also serves a tactical purpose in that if you're sending robots out, you kind of make them more visible so that, you know, people have something to shoot at while you're, like, flanking them. And his backpack. Um, his backpack could hold three of his accessories. And they had those tiny little pegs, and you could have all three of the accessories on his back. He didn't come with the gun, uh, which was fine by me, because he came with all of these cool accessories. We never even really put a gun in his hand, because it was always a plasma launcher or a flamethrower or something in my mind. And there was that claw. And I can't remember if the original clasp opened and closed. No, it didn't. It just looked like it did. It was well sculpted enough to look like it. It's It feels very frail to me now. It's an extremely thin piece of plastic on and that, that original claw. Part of the magic of this toy was, like the Techno Viper, it was something I didn't know existed. Prior to meeting David and seeing his G.I. Joe collection, I had had G.I. Joe catalogs, and I'd seen a lot of the figures on offer that were available, and the Ali Viper was in that catalog, but the Techno Viper wasn't, and the Snow Serpent wasn't either. Once again, it was a surprise figure, it was something I didn't know existed, it was crazy, and yeah, I fell in love with it almost instantly. It was also a toy I was never allowed to borrow from David, because he was always afraid that I'd lose the hands or break the peg on the right hand, which is a fair concern. I would have been the same if I was his age at the time. You know, once again, I think it's one of the best real American hero Joes, um, and that it's also an iconic character or I, when I say iconic character it was used extensively in the cartoon series then we come to the modern era bat and the modern era bat was something I wasn't quite expecting to like as much as I did a part of me was very excited because yay I get to get a version of this toy that I'd never owned another part of me was really excited because it was one of the first um, figurines that I'd ordered from David Harperstott from Yojo USA and uh, when it arrived I couldn't believe how much fun I was getting out of this toy the little holster on its left leg uh, the detail for the the engine parts although not a lenticular sticker anymore I like the molded detail, seeing the little pistons and everything in there. The straps, it's not a molded strap, it's a strap that's glued onto him. The back, him having that like sort of metal rigging to show that the backpack is not like a standard issue backpack, it's like a device that plugs into him. Incidentally, that molding is present on the original, it's just unpainted. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely there, and something I actually forgot about now that you mentioned... Because I'm looking at yojo.com right now just to get some of the reference shots, and I, they sadly don't have a shot of it from the back. And memory serves now. Yeah, it does actually have those... Exposed 
mechanisms. I'm going to go on record here as saying that this is probably one of the best, if not the best, reproduction of a real American hero figure in modern sculpt. He is perfect, and he is better than the original in a lot of ways. His head has been made smaller. It's a lot more um, proportionate. Aggressive, I'd say. Very aggressive, very scary. Yes, not so much use of yellow, but the yellow is really bright. It's a the block of cheese, as we like to call it. The the colors that chose from the fact that they gave him some simple weathering on the, the machine parts, black paint going into the silver, gives a lot of dimension. His attachments are the same but slightly different. His drill bit is a lot more apparent that it's a drill bit, even though I think it's actually meant to be a laser. Uh, the flamethrower attachment is just very rudimentary. It's something that you would expect to see on a Terminator. And thankfully, I think that this figure benefits a lot from us having Terminator in our popular culture. And the claw attachment, which I love, it's just very creepy and menacing. I kind of sometimes wish that they had done like a, a buzzsaw attachment for it. It just made the figure that much cooler. Terminator was in pop culture in 1985, mate. Or yeah. 86, I should say. Yeah, but I don't know how much it influenced, or maybe it, maybe it was the prime influence for the bat in the first place. Well, definitely the hands. When I look at the original's hands, I think, yeah, that's like a Cyberdyne Systems Model 101, or whatever the designation was. I mean, there's steel fingers, and that translates very nicely in the 25th anniversary version. Let's see, like... Oh, metacarpals, yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful sculpting. I really didn't think that I was going to enjoy this toy as much as I did, and it has actually been a toy, and it's become a character of mine uh, quite a bit as a renegade bat that has all of these secrets of Cobra in him. And Cobra's been sent off to, to take him out, and he's quite an advanced AI that's been downloaded into this particular model. Thanks, Devil's Due. I didn't even know that they did that. <laughs> well, I don't think the Joes befriended him. I don't know. That was when I kind of stepped off the Devil's Due uh, bandwagon and stopped well, reading them. Also, to, to further make this an even cooler toy than it originally is, is that uh, in the defense of Cobra Island Pack, he, there's another bat. And that one's got damage. It's um, got a damaged head and it's got a damaged chest. With um, It's cracked. And it also comes with one of those strangler vines. But just having sort of a variation that matters, uh, a cracked chest and damaged head is just really cool. Mm. I really, really love that idea. And I, I think that this is also, once again, Hasbro doing a really great job. You know, unfortunately, the bat line has had a very bad run up until now. I think... The last very cool bat was actually the orange, green, and black one. Mm. And they've had these really messed up, crappy-looking ones in between until we got a, a revisit of the original. I have one item of praise for this bat and then one criticism. Go the praise it. is the fact that he does finally include a conventional firearm yes. in the fact that his, his sidearm is removable. And that's always cool. Like, battle android troopers were seldom depicted using their attachments. They're often standing around with with standard armaments. And it always occurred to me that, yeah, sure, once he's used up all his flame or his laser gun or he's not able to effectively use this mangler arm and he just wants to actually just use a conventional weapon, he didn't really have anything at his disposal. It's not like one of his arms was a machine gun attachment. So to have a pistol or an automatic is hugely beneficial for situations where more detailed work is required. And I'd like to think that bats are capable of firing conventional weapons. I mean, they certainly, as I say, were equipped with conventional weapons in G.I. Joe medium. The elements of criticism that I have for the Battle Android Trooper 25th Anniversary version 
I do not like the chest piece. It's taken all the elements of the lenticular and bumped them into the sort of cartoon territory. By making them very colourful. By making them very colourful, making very obvious mechanisms. The lenticular was a very detailed illustration, which had that 3D depth, so it seemed to be set into the chest cavity, as opposed to the new stuff, which kind of sits quite prominently above the chest. It's like there's this box of stuff just sort of on his chest. You're not peering inside the bat. And by bumping it into the cartoon category, you're going to the opposite extreme, whereas with the vintage, you could go either way. This is either an accurate rendition of what you're seeing in the cartoons, or this is real, legitimate, believable mechanical detail inside this bat. To be honest, the best thing that they could have done was to actually give you a look into his endoskeleton. That if, they'd, been- if they'd done some kind of mechanical ribcage there, I think that would have knocked this thing out of the park. But then again, I might be quoted saying in an alternate reality when they actually did this, that I really miss the colorful mechanical detail. So it's one of those things you'll never know until we actually see it on the shelves. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if when the sculptor who did this, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he offered up some modern sort of takes, very much like the rib cage or some form of redundancy to put into his chest. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if even he was sitting there going, this is cool, let me show the execs and let me show the art director knowing that they're going to turn it down because fans might not appreciate it. We're we funny. We like a lot of stuff, and we love it when they surprise us in the case of characters like the Techno Vipers remake and with uh, characters like Airtight. There's certain things that, if they're slightly askewed, well, then we like sort of back up and we're like, whoa, whoa, hold on, what's happening? Yeah, but this isn't quite the vintage look. Yes. You know, it looks like there are red and green canisters on his chest. Yes. Instead and of this being a window into the inner workings of this mechanical creature. And in my maturity, I've actually thought about it and, and realized that the whole reason there is that window is because there's probably nothing essential on a bat's chest. It's probably designed so that your first instinct is to shoot there thinking that it's going to do damage. Meanwhile, all of its like critical parts are probably in its like right leg or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was due theorized that um, Dr. Mindbender made that portion transparent to draw fire because the material that the transparency is made out of is actually the hardest piece of armor plate on the bat, that somehow he managed to pioneer this armored chest piece, which was transparent. Transparent steel, says Rob. Yeah, okay. A little cross-reference to Star Wars there. But yeah, if it was really tough stuff, it would draw fire away from, I suppose, more flimsy, thinner joints like the arms and legs, the extremities. That's very Frank Miller of them in a way, you know, with Batman having his strongest bit of flak in the suit being with his bat insignia on his chest. I remember Frank Castle, (laughs) a.k.a. the Punisher, monologuing about... Yeah, that's right. Shoot the big white skull. That's where I'm wearing most of my armor. That sort of thing. There you go. And that's yeah. the Frank Miller you know, influence there. Cool. Now, we go on to Rob, whose selection I'm dying to hear. Thing is, <laughs> heard me prattle on for about 20 minutes. Well, it be, Robbie? Who's your number five? Yeah, so my number five in my uh, top five vintage stores with modern reissues is the 1983 Airborne. What I like about this figure is that he just, he looks like a proper soldier and he looks like he's ready to jump out of an aeroplane. It looks realistic. The colors are pretty toned down except perhaps for the, the blue on his chest. Which, which I kind of like. It, you know, 
It just gives him a, a sort of a different look from some of the other figures. And he has a cool little gun, a huge sort of sword on the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks ready to just jump out of an airplane and help his friends. Yeah, and I like that he's an Indian and the original Native American, as it were, in the team. I mean, he came out, what, a year or two before Spirit came out? Yeah. That's very cool. I did not know that. The year before Spirit? Yeah. Franklin Tawtree? He's got a great helmet. Yeah, he definitely has it. And it's, I think it's very unique as well in the line. Although, sometimes I find, when I take it off, I find it difficult to get it back on where it will actually be centered on his head. Okay, so there is a catch. Yeah, it kind of squeezes his head really nicely. But, but it's never in danger of coming off. That's true. You'll never lose this helmet. I do find his rifle is symptomatic of most G.I. Joe rifles of the time by being a rather undersculpted piece. But as I say, it's symptomatic of all the M16s of that era, 1982 to 83. But it's still nice that they added the sort of bayonet at the end. I mean, it is quite thin, which makes it very difficult, I think, to pose him with it realistically. But that's always been the problem with the larger guns on the old Jones. On the old Jones, yeah. And he was absolutely essential because no one else would be able to operate the Dragonfly's weapons with such a plomb. I'd say Airborne was kind of penciled into that role very early on because he had a helicopter gunner speciality on his file card. Oh, that is cool. Because, yeah, we have a lot of helicopter pilots in G.I. Joe. Well, not in 1983. No, but we do have a lot of pilots. But we don't have very many tail gunners in G.I. Joe. He was a nose gunner, by the way. Oh, we don't have very many nose gunners. Or, you know, gunners, vehicle gunners. No, I know, there is a huge difference. (laughs) But yes, if you had a dragonfly and you had a wild bill, you couldn't have a more fitting man to sit in that front chair than Airborne. Mm. Anyway, Rob, you were going to delve into the 25th anniversary version. Sergeant Airborne. Yes. Cool. It's interesting that they decided to add the sergeant on. I suppose it was some sort of like trademark issues. I think it's very faithful to the original. Like it, They just seem to have hit all the details on the original and just put them onto him. And he just looks very authentic. I mean, the helmet obviously now has a mic. And it doesn't look as cool as the original. He has well, a that's a subjective vest. point. Really? Oh, I think it looks great. It's I don't some, know. It doesn't look very unique. It's got some paint apps to make it pop. Yeah, but it doesn't sit on his head very snugly, which is problem <laughs> so it keeps sliding forward or sliding back and but not yeah. sliding off yeah but it just doesn't feel nice when it sort of moves around all the time jeez i'm trying to defend your pick never mind carry on just like many of the other joes that they released on the 25th anniversary he has a removable gun and steve probably likes this that it's on the right hand side i know how he you know he sort of has a prejudice against lefties that means you paul <laughs> <laughs> and it's just because we're better. Yeah, whatever. And they updated the blue. He still has the cool blue jacket, which I always liked. And he has a bigger backpack, which seems more more ready to be used for stuff. Even though it doesn't look like it's a parachute backpack. But, I mean, it didn't look like he ever came with a parachute backpack. Something to mention about the backpack that I like quite a lot is that it's not Hawk's backpack. I think even Duke had the same backpack as the original Airborne, the one with the little shovel in it. I think it's cool that he has his own backpack because I can't think of any other Joe in the modern era sculpt that has this backpack that Airborne has. Hit and run. Is it hit and run? Really? So Hit and Run and Airborne share the same backpack, which possibly is more. Cool. I I don't know. It's it's kind of a generic-ish backpack to my mind in the 25th anniversary. 
It uh, is, but it's not. It fits a lot of characters. I personally use Hit and Run's backpack for Tunnel Rat, because Tunnel Rat always had an oversized backpack, and sadly the 25th anniversary version didn't come with any backpack. But I love the vest for Airborne. Yeah, and then of course they made the straps on these legs a separate piece. Mm. And kind of, if you had a rope or whatever, you could sort of snap it onto the clip on his chest there. And I think, it, yeah, it's a winning figure. It's a, such a winning figure that I actually want to buy one now. You should. And he comes with an awesome rifle as well. It's an update on the original. It's more detailed. A little bit of silver on the uh, unremovable bayonet, but I mean, how much can you ask for? And if I had to rate it, and uh, and I and I do, I would give him three stars. My criticism, if I may. Please um, criticize. The harness makes sitting down impossible. It does limit this figure's use. I do like my helicopter infantryman or airborne infantryman to be able to sit down. Yeah, if he could actually sit down in any vehicle anyway. I remember that when we were looking for airborne infantrymen for you, dude. Yeah, so <laughs> airborne fails in that department and also, Fail. you know, it's almost a foregone conclusion because the Dragonfly is a very dainty vehicle and will not operate well with 25th anniversary style figures. Yeah, it's not intended Sadly. for him in the first place. Yeah, there was no concession made for this airborne figure to ever plausibly fit into a dragonfly and I can't really make that a criticism of the figure but it would it have still been still bothers you because your main focus is vehicles and getting dudes into them so yeah airborne is one of the primary reasons why I am rather purist when it comes to putting figures in vehicles I don't mix it up. I don't use vintage vehicles and 25th anniversary or modern era style figures. I don't think they would have wanted you to anyway. Which is Remember, a sadness. Kids. I can't harp this point enough. Why do you change your scaling so as to ignore 25 or 30 years of solid, incredible vehicle designs? I tell you, my greatest sad- sadness with the modern era G.I. Joes. And number four <laughs> would be the uh, 1986 low light. Yeah, once again, a very realistic looking figure. And he's got tons of details on his outfit. Although I never understood the thing on his left, left leg, but I mean, that's kind of explained when you get to the new figure. And he just looks the business. Like he would go out there and he'd shoot you in the dark and you just wouldn't know what was coming. He's almost like a night raven. Yeah, maybe he was. And he defected to the Joes. I don't know. I never <laughs> explained that on the, on the card. Because he was a night raven. One of you is mistaken, I think. (laughs) I was wrong when I started this list up and when I said that Falcon was the only figure on this list who bore five different color paint apps. Yes, look at this guy. also has five different colors. Yeah, he's got silver and black and red and green and like a yellow color on his head, which represents his hair. A firm. Yeah, he just looks ready for action. Yeah, he looks purpose-built for just getting out there. His backpack is gigantic. It's probably holding way too much stuff, but yeah, what can you do about that? And his rifle is pretty cool with this huge uh, scope on the top, which I assume is night sight enabled. And he seems to hold it really well. I mean, as, as well as any original figure can. Oh, snap. Falcon's actually got six different colors. Damn. <laughs> Falcon nice. snatches the lead on paint apps once again. Wow. But just some things to note, I mean, about classic low light, is he's got a terrific face sculpt. And I really love the way that they did the, the jacket and the gear. As you said, he is purpose-built for, you know, night combat and for just getting in there and getting stuff done. Yeah, he has such a badass expression on his face. I mean, you can't see his eyes, which I think just makes him more mysterious. Scratch hey. that, Falcon's got seven paint applications. 
Nice, let's bring it back to you, Liz. <laughs> awesome. Like and fantastic that. card art for the light as well. Sorry, Rob, take it right, away. Right. That's brilliant. And then, what do they do with the 25th anniversary? They just create the coolest figure that they've released so far in the, the new low light, which, once again, is one of those highlights, like you've been highlighting in your list, Paul, like the Ali Viper and the Snow Serpent and the Techno Viper. It's just other level awesomeness. This is when they just started experimenting, like, you know, with the sort of the different um, little wrist articulation. And even though some of his parts are reused, they just put it all together very nicely. And it just looks completely appropriate to to his original look. Absolutely. They've added to the parts that they reused. For instance, the thigh parts that come from POC Beachhead now sport the knife that the original lowlights had. Hmm, and of course. the scope holster. Which he had on his original, which he couldn't hold the scope in, but of course now he can. Superb. Which is Superb. one of many accessories that he comes with. I mean, he comes with a ridiculous amount of accessories, which I think is quite cool. Mm. And if you were to judge a figure just on the accessories, low light wins. He adds so much to the original by having the flip-up goggles mm. well, that are completely removable. So now you can see the man's eyes yeah. and his face, which is a... Fantastically sculpted face. The fact that his flak vest is removable mm. is also terrific because there's a very cool body sculpt underneath that. A very cool basic G.I. Joe armored torso. And yeah, everything that he comes with. I mean, all the way down to that, that weird little single bullet in that little case of the bullets that he comes with. Unbelievable. This the, is the posing yeah. options that you have with this figure are astounding. Because all of his accessories seem purposeful. Their inclusion is not just like, let's see how many different guns we can throw into this blister pack. Yeah. It's like, this is a sniper who needs X amount of equipment to complete his task. Yeah, unlike the you know the figures from the 90s, which were just packaged with trees. An array of weapons, yeah. yeah. Well, even as late as POC Lowlight's sort of mold buddy, Beachhead, came packaged with just a bunch of guns, really. I mean, he had a veritable armory, but not as much variation in equipment that mm. Lowlight has. Yeah. His equipment didn't say Beachhead, whereas Lowlight's equipment says Lowlight. Yeah, it's unmistakably Lowlight gear. And they've even improved just the grey of the figure. Just looks a bit darker and more realistic. And like a really big improvement, I think, is that he doesn't have a huge silver zip on his crotch. <laughs> like, it's really cool that they added that detail on the original, but it's it's just completely unnecessary. Listeners, and I, it's gigantic. Ur- I urge you to uh, have a listen. The zip. The zip is gigantic. I can't talk about his package, obviously. <laughs> but uh, as I was saying, listeners, I urge you to download Action Figure Therapy's Lowlights entry. Though I don't think they call him Lowlight, they probably call him Sniper or something to that effect. He uh, basically complains about the fact that he's the best sharpshooter on the team, he can take you out from another state, but he's dressed up like a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a criticism for the modern era low light, and I do have one, it's just that sometimes his jacket is too big, and it does limit some of his range of articulation. But other than that, I, I really have no problems with this guy. And uh, yeah, I give him three stars. Mm. One of the best features is his backpack. I remember when this figure was still like in its prototype stage, and we were starting to get little pictures from uh, G.I. Joe Declassified. When he started showing off pictures of the backpack, and then it opened, and you could store some of the gear in the backpack... I just about fell off my chair. I felt my heart race. 
I was so excited about this toy. And then you could connect, you know, his sort of rifle carrying case as well to his back. So you could have exactly. the backpack and the carry case both on him. Sure. Which, so that he could fall backwards <laughs> off his feet anytime it's he tried to amazing. walk. Yeah, it's an amazing array of stuff, but wow. You know, the fact that it all works. Yeah, it all comes together and he can use it all, which is awesome. It just shows that they made a real effort with this guy. My number three is the 1982 Scarlet. Now, this is a figure that I got very late, I suppose exceptionally late in my collecting days. Um, well, you were a teenager. Yeah, that is quite late. I was a teen. Uh, she's exceptionally basic, and I think sometimes you would sort of count that as a negative, but I, I like that about her. But compare it to the other figures of the time. Yeah, I suppose if you compare it to the other figures, yeah, she's very different. I challenge you on that, sir. I don't think she was basic at all. Look at all that stuff on her. I don't think there's hardly any stuff on her. How many points of death and destruction does the original Scarlet Mold have? Well, yeah, I'd say that in the little details, there is interesting stuff. But if you just look at the figure from a distance, she looks exceptionally simplistic, which I like. When you get in up close, then you see the details. But for our benefits, why don't you count how many weapons she's got? She has a whole bunch. A whole bunch, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, like stars and like a little gun on her wrist. and a derringer. And like a huge knife on her left hip. And like a, probably, I'm guessing, a mine on her right hip. And throw that and blow someone up. <laughs> And then she has, I don't know, I think it's a catty in her, her sort of back pockets who flip stones at people. No, listeners, imagine that. You've got the deadliest woman on the G.I. Joe team, and she's coming at you with a catty. I know. She must be able to do some damage with that thing. Yeah, I reckon she can. Definitely. Take an eye out. Very sullen-looking woman in the sculpt. And then, of course, there's the grenade on her right shoulder. Yeah, she's she's ready, and that's what I like. It's the small things on her that, that make her different and interesting. She's not exactly the most attractive woman ever, uh, but her body still seems to, from 1982, it conveys a femininity about it. Not sort of a woman that many men would want to go out with. <laughs> Hey, well, clutch, clutch made passes. Yeah. In the comic book, I have to say that Scott is pretty much one of the, the better looking redheads in comic books. Yeah, they oversold it. You know, then you see the figure and you're like, oh. Wow. Yeah, it's different. You know, they, they could have maybe played up on her being a woman by giving her, like, you know, massive boobs and stuff. But yeah, but they, they didn't. Of... They kept it realistic, I think. Quite yeah, tasteful, they kept... I think. Yes, very tasteful, especially for a toy line aimed at boys. And also the fact that, and I love this, Um, you know, she wears a one-piece, mm-hmm. and the sculpt on the original is very good at hiding her waist articulation. Yeah, especially very cool. if, very if, if you don't move her, you wouldn't realize that there's a point there. And it's very cool. I like that. It's uh, Especially for a fe- uh, female figure, and when you draw women, you have to try and keep as few lines on them as possible. Mm. And if you do use lines, they have to be sort of strong cursive lines to accentuate the femininity. And in this figure, at the time, I think it's a very good sculpt. Hang on, the poor waist articulation on the O-ring style figures was always well hidden, because it was always above their belt line. That's the biggest I saw with the 25th anniversary sculpt style. Yeah, but I think what he's saying is that even more so with her, it's less noticeable. Yeah, she's wearing a one-piece. It does look very cool. And there's something about it, it's just, I'm looking at it now, and I'm just like, that is a really good design choice, the way that they've done it on her. Mm-hmm. They could have done it badly. You know what I mean? It could have looked horribly wrong. Okay, so now moving on to the 25th anniversary. She came very early 
I mean, the one that I'm talking about is the one in the original box set. Yes, and I don't think they've gotten it better since then. It's the only, like, proper version of the original Scarlet that we have out there. I mean, okay, she has slightly fewer weapons, I think, than the original does. I'm not going to count them, but they are less. <laughs> yeah, and there's no Derringer. There's not, no gun. That's, that's an interesting choice that they chose not to give that to her. But then, of course, they gave her a gun on her hip. So I think they just repositioned it. And they just wanted to keep the, the lines on the figure itself very smooth, which I appreciate. And she looks, yeah, a lot more feminine than the original. And her face is gorgeous. It's cartoony in a way, but it's very simple and understated. She has a cool ponytail. Probably the only problem I had, as we did with most of those original figures, we had to shave parts of them to sort of allow better movement. So I had to shave her crotch. Uh-oh. <laughs> but now she can sit down perfectly with a shaved crotch. And Essentially, you just shaved away the grey painted area on her crotch. <laughs> yeah, I just took out all the grey in her crotch. <laughs> oh, God. It just improved really the figure. It really covers grey. <laughs> it just improved the figure to give her a, you know, a shaved crotch. Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> If you have somehow jumped into this podcast from this point, we are talking about an action figure. Yeah, a shaved I, I, crotch. I took the knife to her to her legs. Yeah, <laughs> well, not really her legs, more like yeah, that sort of hip area, a little plastic surgery, as it were. And even though she doesn't have double knee joints like many of the later figures, I don't think it really affects her much. I mean, she still has a really good range of movement and her hands just hold weapons really well, as well. Her knees can do something that other figures can't. What is that, Stephen? Tell they me. can swivel side <laughs> to side. So she can cross her legs. Ah, like a real lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she can rest her one leg over the top of the other. That's lovely. Do a little Sharon Stone with her shaved crotch. <laughs> wow, crotch jokes abound. Yeah, we're just diving in there. Silver zipper crotch. <laughs> Massive silver zipper. Uh, yeah, and and once again, I, I have to give her three stars. They just haven't got it any better. I mean, they might have given her more articulation later on. Hair that doesn't sort of restrict the movement of her head, but not to too much of a degree. But they just haven't captured the spirit of who she is, I think, as as well as this original figure does. I'm glad that they got it right so early in the line. No, I have to agree with you. I love the Resolute Scarlet quite a bit. I just really, really, really don't like the face. Mm. It just throws me off, and the head seems a tight bit big. But I love how the Resolute outfit for her is a very believable modern take on what she originally had because they've got very much the same outfit. It's just it's just a bit more rough and tumble. But you're right. I don't think they've surpassed the original Scarlet, at least not facially, you know, in a facial sculpt. I'm looking at some of the, the past releases and I'm I'm surprised that they've <laughs> that they did it that bad in some regards. Yeah. She is great. She and she does look really cool next to the Baroness as well. They complement each other and by Baroness I mean the one that Steve mentioned in his uh Yeah, I believe that would be one of his top five. Baroness version twelve. <laughs> And oh, she- the hotness. The hotness. Oh, the hotness, definitely. Mm. The the snake gauntlets. I know. Uh, she is fantastic. 
He's a really amazing figure. The original is so stunning, and the new one is stunning as well. I mean, I should have mentioned now they dropped her holster in favor of keeping her legs slender and smooth and perfect. That's the right choice. She's got fucking sexy legs for a figure. Damn straight. She does too. And she's totally got a camel toe. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have to shave her crotch. Exactly. No, she's got a perfect crotch. Oh my god. You could get those legs right up. (laughs) (laughs) While we're talking about crotches, uh, unfortunately, (laughs) I broke the crotch on my original Scarlet. I can't really remember how that happened, but it's, it's, it makes me sad that she's crotchless. We could possibly find the parts on eBay. I notice that people are more and more selling individual parts of vintage figures so that you can perform maintenance on your on original crotch. toys. Crotch maintenance. That's a good idea. Maybe we should start looking. I'd love to just restore her. Nothing sucks worse than a broken crotch. On to my number two top vintage Joe with modern reissues would be Flint, the 1985 original Flint. He looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Why I'm laughing is because, unfortunately, I don't have my original Flint with me, so I'm looking at a Night Force reissue of of him. and Which came with the G.I. Joe Moray? Or did they call it the Night Attack Boats? I don't know. <laughs> One or the other. It was the, the swirly ice cream cone variation of the Moray. But right now, I just, yeah, I, I don't have enough time to talk about how ridiculous this guy looks. <laughs> But the original version of him looked really cool. I mean, just the the colors just came together to make him look just a little bit different from the other Joes that came out before him. Um, And I like that he had a beret. It just gave him cockiness. And I think that fitted in with his character bio. Yeah, especially seeing as he wears it to the side, unlike Stoker. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's sort of going for a different type of look there. And he had gloves on. I mean, I, I know lots of Joes have gloves on, but it just made him... More rough. No glove, no love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and two, two of them, he was loving it lots. Yeah, he just has a really nice, unique look to him, and I like that he's got the black on the top and the sort of camo pants. I love the shotgun bandolier, the the shotgun yes. shells. Yes, the, yeah. the shells on him. They linked the weapon with the figure. just shows that when they did make these figures, they were considering the accessories that do go with them. Which I think often with the 25th anniversary toys, you don't find that consideration because sometimes you have figures that can't hold their weapons. Or it's a reuse of another weapon. Or reuse of another character's web gear. It detracts from the originality of the accessories. Yeah, very much so. I just don't like wanting to give a character one accessory, but his web gear suggesting another. Mm. Like, if you come with a whole bunch of M16 magazines on your web gear, but I want to give you a submachine gun or an Uzi, eh, it's this constant battle in my mind of form versus function, or trademark weapon versus whatever Hasbro gave us in the form of web gear. Yeah. So you find a uh. problem with the original figure? No, the original figures, because they were all m- newly minted parts, mm. they were very much centered on function, centered on their own accessories. And then that kind of brings me to the 25th anniversary line, where once again, with an amazing original figure like Falcon, Flint hasn't actually, in my opinion, been given justice yet. I mean, the first figure that came out was very much just a reuse of the Duke, the original Duke. And, of course, we all know he has those problems with his arms. Uh, I mean, I know when I got got the Duke, I had to shave his arms just to give him proper movement. And otherwise, I mean, I haven't really seen any real effort in that way. There is a prototype of a newer Flint 
Yeah, um, I remember seeing it, yeah. I'm quite excited for that, uh, I have to admit. I hope that is something that they will release, though. Absolutely. I mean, to my mind, the best <clears throat> version of Flint that we have available to us now was released in Hall of Heroes. And there was another version just prior to that, which is always in close contention with it. There are a few cosmetic differences. I think the face sculpt is slightly different. Yes, I like the okay. face sculpt from the box set. Ah, yes. Yeah, I would go with the box set face sculpt, but the Hall of Heroes, uh, I don't know. I remember making up my mind some time ago, but then actually not going through with buying one because Flint's never really resonated with me as a character. I guess it's because I was never that into the animated series. Between Duke and Flint, I'm a Flint guy. I sadly own more Dukes. I have one Flint. I can't bring myself to, to get him as a single-carded, and I really want to get that G.I. Joe box set because I want that specific snake eyes with timber, and I want that specific shipwreck, and a bonus for me would be to get that flint in that box set. Even with the ultimate snake eyes in the pipeline? Yeah, even with the ultimate snake eyes in the pipeline. You know, there's something very special about this that they haven't done on any of the single cards, as I'm sure you're aware, but it's more the shipwreck now than anything, if you know what I mean. And I also like the sculpt. There's something about Lady J in that set as well that's really fantastic. But they might be in the cards, you know, as future releases, so I'm lukewarm. I don't know. Do I go for it? Do I not go for it? You know, that's where I'm sitting. And and going for it means that I have to drop a thousand bucks on it. You know. So yeah. Oh, you're getting about seven figures. Yeah, well, you're getting about seven figures. But the problem is, I'm getting a double of Hulk. Okay, I'm getting a Lady J. That is actually very cool. The one I've got originally. Although at least this one comes with the attachments for the spear. Um, and I'm getting the cooler shipwreck because he has you know two functioning hands and a slightly cooler face sculpt. You know what hands work well in that shipwreck? Mm-hmm. The Snake Eyes from the 25th anniversary first battle pack. Oh. If you pop those into your shipwreck version 1 25th anniversary style, you've got some functioning hands. Grey gloved hands. Cool. Now we get to my number one vintage dough that has a modern reissue, and that would be version 3 Snake Eyes. And this is really the only figure out of all of these that I have like a proper history with. Because, I mean, I had I got this when I was quite young. It's sort of one of the figures that sort of just stayed with me for tons and tons and tons of years. I played with him so much that his knees now are just wobbly, like, beyond compare. But that's cool. Super ninja action. Yeah. yeah quick kick action. Yeah, yeah, and quick running away action. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, for me, he's just the ultimate Snake Eyes. There's just something about him that just is... I suppose, you know, they're making the shift from Commander to, to Ninja, and it's like that he isn't full-out Ninja, in a way. How many items of death does he have on his body? Yeah, wow. we'll never go full Ninja. <laughs> he has a whole bunch. You know, he's got a bunch, but probably a bunch more than uh, Scarlet, although, I suppose. Yeah, he's got those two cool knives on his chest, you know, a ton of grenades struck to his arms, so he's always hoping people shoot him in the chest and not in his arms. <laughs> Nobody shoots the snake eyes. You're dead before you even know he's there. Wow, you're just really buying into that whole ninja thing, aren't you? Well, that's kind of his modus operandi. I mean, if, if, if anyone actually <laughs> did corner snake eyes, realistically, he wouldn't stand much of a chance. Snake yeah. eyes. His whole thing is surprise attack. Yeah, and the figure and the accessories that he comes with just sort of accentuates that. You know, he comes with a silenced Uzi, and he comes with a, a huge sword, which I've always liked, you know, despite the fact that I don't understand what the little holes in the sword are for. I think when he flails it around, it makes a cool, like, sound. Yeah, that's <laughs> so stealth. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, listen, you had me at, you like his big sword. 
Yeah, I like his big sword and I love his gigantic blowgun. Oh, here's a possible reason. It lowers the weight of the sword. That's one of the reasons, yes. Okay, so (laughs) it makes a sound and it lowers the weight. Well, his trench knives also have holes in them. They do have holes in them, you're right. Similar thing, lowers the weight. And he comes with a giant blowgun and awesome, like, articulated nunchuck-type stick things. Would you call it a three-section staff? It's a trisectional staff, yeah. Yeah, it's just beautiful that he comes with all this stuff. And then he's, you know, the sword can fit onto the backpack if you, you know, if you hadn't broken the little tabs on it, like I have. I mean, not deliberately, obviously, through years of use. Things happen. And his backpack is just so detailed, you know, with even more weapons. You know, it's got this little, like, cat claw things. It's got tons of darts in there. What I assume are replacements for his little earpiece or ropes on the bottom and a tiny little... (laughs) I think those might be shurikens. Ah, extras, you're right, eh? That would explain the little points. Yeah, they do have one little point on them. If, uh, at this point, Larry Homer was kind of involved with some of the, not necessarily figure design, but because the characters had already gained momentum, uh, I'm sure that he had some kind of say in some of the design. And with that particular Snake Eyes, having a trisectional staff, it's a very difficult weapon to use in martial arts. It's something that, in the system that I'm in, we only learn to use after about 20 years. It is very difficult to use. It's very unpredictable. And I'm sure that Larry Hummer wanted that to be in there or to be a focal point because he was trying to, through the figure, was trying to say that this really is a martial arts master. Because most guys carry swords, but a trisectional staff really is a unique weapon and it is a very difficult thing to use. Its function is twofold, as far as I can tell from seeing it in martial arts flicks. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, of course, an offensive weapon because it has these spiked balls on the end. But when you use it against a swordsman or any other uh, weapon, you're basically trying to envelop your opponent's weapon and disarm him. Yeah, what you're doing is you're using something that has the range of a staff, but because it picks up so much momentum when it's moved, it's dangerous. It's not something you want to tackle with. So it's very... Intimidating. Yeah, it's very intimidating. It keeps you very far away from the the weapon user. And also, um, if he closes in on you, it's broken skulls. It's broken bones. There's no two ways. You will break something if you hit somebody with that. Oh, cool. Including yourself if you don't know what you're doing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, all the weapons he comes with and... And that also the figure, even though it's all black, it still has really nice texturing on it. I mean, especially his chest and his back. So that's sort of like, I don't know, I suppose you could call it chainmail that he's wearing. Mesh. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. So, yeah, even even uh, even without a reissue, he'd be my, my number one old-style Joe, I think. Totally. He's freaking amazing. I mean, he's part of my childhood as well, and a huge mm. part of my childhood. Agreed. He was, he's Mine my too. defector. Um, yeah, for all of us, he's our defector Snake Eyes. He was the Snake Eyes before we knew better. And he was one of the figures I had before I met Steve. That's quite cool. He's kind of my one of my original things I got before I was influenced by him and all the stuff that he has. I got that Snake Eyes before I had any influence from anything. Wow. Yeah, well. I, mean, I was just like... Completely isolated from the rest of the G.I. Joe world. We saw this figure and it was like, he is the best figure <laughs> Must have it. And then you get to his reissue, which I think is is a true reinterpretation of the original. Reinterpretation? Yeah, I think reinterpretation, because, I mean, they've added certain details to him. I mean, the original doesn't have the sort of optics. nice... Yeah, the optics that the new one comes with, which I think is quite cool. 
removable butterfly knives. Yeah, the removable butterfly knives and the fact that, you know, like the strap that was, you know, just the detail on the original figures, you know, is glued on separate. And there's a little buckles on the front and you can actually attach the Uzi comes with to the sort of loop on the right hand side. Finally, the hook becomes functional. Yeah. Even though, like, I I prefer the original one to the new one because the new one is just feels way oversized. Yeah, agreed. Sadly. Which is cool, though, because, I mean, the original still has a hook, so you can attach it. It just would have been nice if they gave it the Alley Viper treatment by making the gun smaller and keeping that functionality or keeping it sort of close to what it used to be. Yeah, no, they just went for something almost completely different, and it it is kind of a disappointment. And he has a very similar sword to the original, also not as cool as the original, Mm. because it's kind of... Sharp edge, which is kind of cool, but then of course you have what are supposed to be the holes in it, which actually aren't holes. So this has got weird circles on it, which don't mm. seem to serve any purpose. It's and also a single-bladed weapon as well, whereas the original is a dual-bladed, if memory serves. Yes, yes, that is correct. And then for some weird reason, he has a silver backpack, which I I kind of don't like. I can yes. only imagine factory error. Yeah, thanks. I mean, so. once these things had been mass-produced and were on blister packs and sent back to the states. It suddenly became apparent, oh dear, they molded all the accessories in the silver plastic. Eh, big mistake. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, he maintains the, the texturing that's underneath his top. Slightly bigger mesh, though. Yeah, it's it kind of, it kind of five. moves away from being chainmail to textured almost like padded. And probably my only other gripe with the figure is that his eyes look very slanted, which I don't like. I like that the original just looked like he was wearing cool normal shades, but this guy's got like, like hectic silly shades on very stylized Oakleys <laughs> yeah. yeah well I mean the original he was just wearing something that was practical just to complete the outfit and you know make it easier for him to see what he's doing but I think okay. perhaps they were going off the card art when they elected to give it those sharp accents yeah it could be but I mean the original figure didn't do that so they could have just stuck with that have you noticed that there's a shade of matte black in certain places the yeah. crisscross straps across his chest and also the leathery portions on yeah, his shoulders. Yeah, his shoulders and his arms, they also have a grey stripe on them. So, I mean, he's yeah. not all the way black, which is quite cool. So, there's, is, there's a texturing. Yeah, they're shinier black than the rest of him. So, there's a great and very subtle use of different textures of black. And, mm. hey, it's a beautiful figure. But, yeah, it also, as, as you say, faults on some of the accessories. The sword, the backpack, the gun being oversized. You know, he doesn't get a blow gun this time. Yeah, which I also miss. Yeah, I like that he could, you know, sort of just put his mouth on that and just shoot people from a distance. Silently. Then, of course, the backpack still has the darts on it, which is yes. incongruous, you know, with the fact that he doesn't come with it. I guess he throws them. Yeah, maybe he just throws them at people. <laughs> yeah, once again, I mean, I, I have, I can't help but give him three stars. Because, I mean, even with the little things, he just captures, once again, the spirit of the original. In many ways, I don't think he improves it, but... It's still interesting. You know, Snake Eyes does have certain allure to him as a character, and it's unmistakable. Everybody loves Snake Eyes. I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say the character. I, I, the don't, I, don't, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't really look. know what Snake Eyes' character is. I, I've battled to find real moments of expression from him, apart from mm. perhaps issue 155. It's just the look of the it's figure. Absolutely. It's the design. It's just always been a winning design. Something mm. about the black clad mask. Assassin. A theory I have about the original cartoon is they use Snake Eyes 
very little. And they use him at one point. He's irradiated. It appears that he sacrifices himself to save other Joes to get the mission done. Ah, the Weather Dominator. That's right. It's very similar to the run in the comics when he is sort of with Quinn and Dr. Venom. It's, It's very similar to that. That was a big moment for Snake Eyes in the comic books, in my opinion. And that was a big moment for him in the cartoon. And you never really see Snake Eyes again. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the figure sold so well that Sunbow and Hasbro decided there's no real need to publicize this figure, to make the character more prominent on the show because he's already selling well enough, whereas they could use the other characters as advertisements for themselves. Ah, that's why Lifeline got so much exposure in Season 2. <laughs> oh, well, because he needs, he needs it, you know? <laughs> Is that help? And Mainframe, for that matter. Yeah, although Mainframe is cool. That's the sad thing, you know? Mainframe is a cool character. Really? I like Mainframe. I don't imagine the figure did well, so that's why they gave him a romance with Zorana. It's like... How can we get these two slow-selling figures to uh, heat Uh up a little bit? Yeah. No, that's probably it. Ugh. (laughs) Ugh. But ugly, that Zorana figure. And also, just like Zartan, her two body halves are fused together. So once that O-ring perishes, well, you're minus one Zorana figure. Two forces waging endless war Every day they waste some more But when the day is done And they go home What do they do for fun? Alright, listeners, I think that's a wrap for episode 13, G.I. Joburg. Catch us next time for another G.I. Joe discussion, possibly about vehicles again. Hey, boys. I might even bring Sideshow into it. No, you're not. No, you're not. I heard he likes to drink quite a bit. Dear listeners, if you'd like to comment on this episode of G.I. Joburg, find us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. feel at peace. His latest is a series of sunsets on the beach. <laughs> Sweet, guys. Hi, right, Paulie. Cheers, man. Cheers, cheers. Stay warm. Good luck. I see the way he looks at Lady J. Someday he's gonna leave me in the cold.